Thank you, Carl. Keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. As we begin, I would like to ask you to think about this statement. The gospel advances in the world because of sacrificial giving. The gospel advances in the world because or through sacrificial giving. Would you say you agree with that? What do you think about that? I mean, let's think through that. Jesus Christ came into this world and he gave his life up for us. Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. He is equal. Am I not on? You lost me. Here, let's go like this. How about that? Sweet. He is the, Jesus Christ is the second person of the Godhead. He is equal in nature, in an essence to the Father and to the Spirit. There's three persons, one God, but think about it. Jesus is, an, is equal with the Father, with the Spirit, yet Jesus surrendered his right to exercise the rights of being the divine God when he came to this earth. That's what Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us. Though Jesus is equal with the Father, he released the, the full rights to exercise his divine power when he came in the likeness of man. He became a helpless baby. Consider that. Here, God himself became a helpless baby, grew as a boy, then walked on the earth as a man in the flesh. And for 33 years on earth, Jesus surrendered the right to exercise his full power as God. I mean, what was Jesus' right as God? What was his rights? Well, he had the right to have every person bow before him, right? When he was on this earth, As he walked around, every person should have bowed the knee in obedience to him. He had the right when a sinner was before him to to cast that sinner into hell because he is God. He's the holy, righteous God. But Jesus did not exercise his full rights on earth. Even though the Pharisees opposed him, He had soldiers mock him. Even his disciples rejected him. I mean, think about that time in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was midnight. It was dark. And there Jesus was on the ground crying out to his father in prayer. And he was praying to his father as he considered the next day what was going to happen. And his disciples were sleeping. And in that garden walked hundreds of soldiers led by Judas, the betrayer, the one who once followed Jesus, at least said he did. And the disciples woke up. Peter got out his sword. He was going to take on the whole army himself. He was going to fight for Jesus. And Jesus rebuked him and said, stop, Matthew 26, 53. He says, do you not know that I could appeal to my father? He at once would send more than 12 legions of angels. He had the right as God to call on his father and say, send down these angels, send 70,000. That's about 12 legions, 70,000 angels, unleash them on these mere humans. 
But he didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? Because Jesus had a bigger mission on this earth. And that was to give his life as a ransom for many. He had the right, but he surrendered that right for that time so that he could give his life on the cross for our sins. The gospel came into this world through Jesus, through his sacrificial giving of his life. The gospel has advanced in the world because of sacrificial giving. The disciples, they, they gave up their lucrative businesses. Matthew was a tax collector and he walked away from that. Uh, many of the disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they walked away from their fishing profession. Even to start the church, when this church came into being, it came into being through people who sacrificed their lives, their livelihoods. Many priests came to faith in Christ. They lost their jobs. Many people sold their possessions and their money and they laid it at the apostles' feet and gave it to the church so they could continue to spread the gospel. The gospel advanced in the early church through sacrificial giving. And it's with that same spirit that Paul the Apostle writes 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 presents Paul's philosophy really of life. And that is that he wanted to sacrificially give himself to advance the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9 teaches in order to advance the gospel, you need to first know your rights in Christ but be willing to deny yourself your rights and give sacrificially for the sake of Christ. That you need to advance the gospel by knowing your freedoms. Yes, know what your rights are in Christ, but be willing to give those up for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. Now really, in order to understand chapter 9, in order to probably fully grasp what I'm going to teach on today, you really need to hear the last two sermons because the last two sermons covered chapter eight. Okay. So if you weren't here the last two weeks, please tune in, but maybe go back and listen to that because really chapter nine is built upon chapter eight. Chapter eight speaks of Christian liberty and Paul taught on Christian liberty. But then in chapter nine, Paul said, let me give you an example. So last week we talked just briefly, I'll say we talked about the three categories of biblical conviction in that first category of importance are gospel convictions. Then we said the second category of importance are doctrinal convictions. And then the third category are those biblical convictions of Christian liberty convictions. And that's what we're talking about here. That's what 1 Corinthians really 8 speaks of. I'll just give you some examples so you can have these stirring in your brain as we are, as we are thinking through this. Here's some Christian liberty things right here. Tattoos, drinking choices, clothing styles, school options, music styles, social media platforms, television, dancing, how you spend your money, celebrating certain holidays, eating certain foods, and so on. And so in, in those areas, you should study the scripture. You should know what God's word says about that and some of the principles in God's word. And you should strengthen your conscience in those areas so you can minister to more people. And so that's what 1 Corinthians 8 was speaking about. You, you need to know, yes, 
But 1 Corinthians 8 says there's something more important than just knowledge of God's word. And what is that? That's love for other people. So there's these really two main points in 1 Corinthians 8. Know what God's word teaches. Calibrate your conscience to that. But also there's something more important than just what you know. It's loving people. It's applying that in the context of relationships. So how do you do that practically? How do you live out 1 Corinthians chapter 8, what Paul the Apostle gives that to us. In fact, you could, you could divide up 1 Corinthians chapter 9 like this, verses 1 through 14. Paul presents himself as an example. So the question here is, how can I advance the gospel? Verses 15 through 18, Paul communicates his reasons. Why should I give sacrificially to advance the gospel? And in verses 19 through 27, Paul shared his determination. To what extent should I give sacrificially to advance the gospel? So we're going to cover those three questions, those three areas over the next three to four weeks here. Am I, am I on? Can you hear me okay? Okay, just making sure. So today we're going to look at really that first question, and that is how can I advance the gospel? How can I advance the gospel? We're going to see really three steps, three things that we should consider as we seek to advance the gospel in our community, really even in our church, in our homes, and those relationships around us. So first, the first point is know your Christian liberty. Know your Christian freedoms. Look at verse number one, chapter nine, verse one. Am I not free? Am I not free? Paul was speaking of his Christian liberty, his Christian rights in Christ. Last week, we gave this definition for Christian liberty, and Christian liberty is the freedom to apply the scriptures in different ways and in different contexts for the sake of serving others. That's Christian liberty. It's, it's being able to transcend your background and maybe some of those cultural uh, shackles in being able to minister to people in different contexts. And so Paul said here that, yes, he has freedom like any other Christian, but there was something even more for Paul. He wasn't just a normal Christian. He was also an apostle. Look at verse one. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? An apostle was a very special office in the early church. Ephesians chapter four gives the offices in the church. There's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, pastor teachers. Each one of those offices has qualifications and they have responsibilities. And so Paul says, I am an apostle. I'm qualified for that. I have responsibilities in that. An apostle was one who had the responsibility to authoritatively teach the doctrines of Christ and to write down many times those doctrines into Holy Scripture. And so we are blessed today by the ministry of the apostles. We don't have any apostles in here. There's no apostles around right now on this earth, but we have the ministry of the apostles in God's holy word. Like 1 Corinthians is the blessing of the apostles to our church. Paul claimed, in, even in this book right here, he claimed that he was writing the very words of Christ. He preached, he taught, he wrote under the authority of Christ. So he was an apostle. And what does it mean to be an apostle? In other words, what are the qualifications of apostle, of an apostle? Well, there's three main qualifications. We're going to see one in verse one. Here's one of them is you, you are 
your teaching is authenticated by miracles. That's 2 Corinthians 12, 12, if you want to look that up. So you must be able to authenticate your teaching with miracles. Second, you must have been personally sent by Jesus, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Then third, found here in 1 Corinthians 9, 1, you must have personally seen in person the resurrected Christ. So notice verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And then here, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he had seen personally the resurrected Jesus. And these, these answers to these questions are all yes. Am I not free? Yes, I'm free. Am I not an apostle? Yes, I'm an apostle. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Yes, I have. Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Yes. The church of Corinth knew better than anyone else that Paul was a man who stood in the place of Christ to teach that he was an apostle. He spent almost two years there in Corinth, starting that church, preaching to those people, and his ministry to them authenticated that he was an apostle. Notice verse 2, he says that. If to others I am not an apostle. In other words, some people say, well, Paul, I don't know. Are, is he really an apostle? He says, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. A seal authenticates things. If I were to go to my house and pull out my, my birth certificate, I have a seal on there from the state of Wisconsin. If I were to get my uh, passport and bring that out, you could see a seal on there. A seal authenticates something's true. And he says, you are my authentication. You're my seal that I truly am an apostle. In verse 3, he says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. So Paul's saying, I hold the highest office in the church. That's the apostle. And in verses 1 through 3, he gave a clear defense of that. And he did that for a purpose. You might be, why, why is he doing that? Well, he did that to set up really the next line of argument. And that is, therefore, he had the right to be able to enjoy the same freedoms the other apostles have. He, he was saying, there are other apostles. You got Peter and you got some of the other apostles and they have freedoms in Christ. You know, I'm an apostle. I have those same freedoms in Christ. I can enjoy myself. But, but Paul's saying here, but I don't enjoy those. I, I restrict myself on those to advance the gospel. What were those freedoms? Well, we're gonna see three of those freedoms. First was in regard to eating and drinking. Second was in regard to being married. And third was the right to be paid by, uh, paid by the church for his gospel work. The right to be paid by the church for his gospel work. So look at the first right, the first freedom that he had in Christ that he could enjoy like the other apostles. Verse four, do we not have the right, the freedom in Christ to eat and drink? In other words, Paul knew that Christ had declared all foods acceptable to eat. You can see that in Mark chapter 7, verse 19, where the passage reads this. Thus he, that's Jesus, declared all foods clean. The Old Testament law had given clear restrictions on what the Jewish people, on what the Israelite people could eat and couldn't eat. The, the Old Testament covenant said very clearly what that was. But at that moment, Jesus made a declaration because Jesus 
has more authority than the Old Testament scriptures because Jesus is the authority. And so he declared that all foods are clean. Then later on, in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16, Jesus reminded Peter of that declaration. Remember, Peter had a vision, and that vision, God declared, Christ declared, that all foods are now clean. And so Paul, an apostle, he had the freedom to eat those foods. Christ told him directly, or Peter, the apostle, had the right to do that. And so Paul here is saying, I have the right to do that as well. And so in verse number four, Paul argued he could eat meat offered to idols. He could have pork, right? He could have his, his, his barbecue if he wanted to, because Christ had declared all those things clean. Before his salvation, his, his religious system suppressed that and said, oh, your conscience has to be tied to this. And if you do this, this, and this, you can be saved. And then he heard the gospel that, no, those things don't save you. Christ saves you. He accepted Christ. And no longer did he have to follow those rules. He knew that Christ was the one who saved him. And now he realized all foods are, are able to be eaten. So he could go down to Poseidon's pizza and eat that sausage that was, maybe, maybe it was sacrificed to the idol Poseidon, but he could eat it because all foods are clean. So Paul says he had knowledge about that. But remember, there was something more than just knowledge when we make decisions. It's not just, well, what does the Bible say? Oh, the Bible says this, therefore I can do what I want to do. No, you might have freedoms found in the scriptures, but we sit, do we take our knowledge of God's word and we say, and how do I love people? That's what we find here. Actually, if you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 8. There's something more. There's love and what's really the next thing I do to advance the gospel, the next step I take, and that is to deny yourself for gospel advance. Yes, know your Christian freedoms, but then there's times you say, okay, this is, this is this person. This is what their conscience is. This is what they're struggling with. This is what this culture is. Okay, so if I'm gonna enter into this and I wanna reach them for Christ, I might not do what I want to do, what I have the freedom to do. I'm gonna do what's best for them to be able to reach them with the gospel. In fact, look at the end of chapter eight, verse 13. Paul says something very shocking here. 1 Corinthians 8, 13. He says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, if it's going to cause him to sin for me to eat a certain piece of meat, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. That's quite a statement. And he's not saying that he will never eat meat. He's saying if someone is caused to stumble because of that, I would go without a steak the rest of my life. And that's quite a commitment to make, isn't it? But the point is there is that Paul was saying, listen, this, this is how important it is to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul felt, Paul felt so strongly about his desire to advance the gospel in, in the church and in the community that Paul was willing to deny himself and his rights. But Paul wasn't some type of, he wasn't some type of monk that just denied himself and went to a monastery somewhere. No, Paul went to the next step and he gave sacrificially for gospel advance. He actually went out into these cities, into these areas to give the gospel. 
This is really the pattern of gospel living. This is the pattern of missionary living. Like we had the rights here this morning for our Sunday class, our missionaries to Africa. And uh, this is what a missionary does. This is what a missionary does. A missionary knows his or her rights. Brett and Jennifer, they, they could stay in America. Do they have the right to stay in America? Do they? Yeah, they have a right to stay in America. Is going to Africa going to earn their salvation? Absolutely not. So they have a right to have air conditioning like this and to be able to go down and, and get a Chick-fil-A sandwich. I don't think they have that in Africa, at least that area they're in, definitely. They have the right to be able to stay here, but there's something more than just your rights. It just, there's something more than just your freedoms. And, and what? It's the gospel. It's loving people. It's realizing there are people in Africa who are dying and going to hell, and they need Christ. How are they going to get Christ? Well, someone's got to tell them. And, and someone's got to be able to cart missionaries around in airplanes. And so who's going to do that? Oh, we'll do it. And so, so they deny themselves, and they go there, and they give sacrificially for the gospel. I mean, just think about some of the things that missionaries deny themselves of. It's foods. It's a level of health care. It's the comforts of America. It's the possibility of getting diseases like malaria. It's dangerous situations. And again, they're not doing that to be superheroes. They're not doing that to have a book written about them someday. Missionaries do that because they want to give the gospel to those people. And so they give sacrificially for gospel advance. The gospel advances in the world through sacrificial giving. And the same is true for us. The same is true for the church. Yes, you have the right to travel to that place. You have the right to spend your money on that thing or that, in that way. You have the right to do this or that. You might have the freedom to do that, but again, there's something more important than just what you can do, what you have the freedom to do, and that is what does God want you to do? That is, that is how do you love people with what God has given to you? And so sometimes there's times that we need to deny ourselves for gospel advance. We say, you know what, maybe, maybe that is my me night. But maybe I'm going to give up my me night for the gospel. Or maybe I'm going to take that trip and spend that money, but maybe I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'll give that up and, and give it to someone maybe who needs to take a trip over to another country like Africa and their missionary. And I'm going to deny myself for gospel advance. And you, you give of yourself. You give of your finances. You give of your time. You give of your, you give of your energy why? To advance the gospel. So yes, know your rights. Deny your rights. At certain times, you might need to do that and give sacrificially to advance the gospel. The gospel advances in the world through sacrificial giving. And this is true of all of us children in this room. This is true of you. Probably children are the ones who love to demand their rights more than anyone else, right? That's, what's the next word? That's mine. I sat here Right, first, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So like, like we like to, like children, if you're out there, you like to do that. Like, this is mine. Like, I'm, I have these rights, you know? I got here first. That cookie was my cookie. But there's something more than just what your parents say you have the right to do. Is what? It's maybe denying yourself for what? To love someone else. You see how practical this is on a daily basis? This is practical in your marriages. This is practical in your relationships. This is practical in your, in your workplace. That, that we can say to ourselves, well, I, I have the right for this, or that's mine. But there's times where we step back and we say, you know what, wait, wait, wait. 
there's something more important here, and that, that's loving God, loving these people. <clears throat> so there's times where I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to sacrificially give. Say yes to the Lord. Say no to myself. And that's what you see with Paul here. And friends, that's what we see with Jesus Christ. Right? That's why he came, is to give his life for us. You might be in here and you're without Christ. Do you realize that Christ gave up his heavenly throne to come to this world, to live a perfect life? Can you imagine being a perfect person living with sinners? How frustrating would that be? Especially if you had the authority and the power to punish those people and, and frankly, the right to do that. I mean, how many times do you think that maybe there was a temptation? Jesus was tempted. He didn't give in but a temptation to maybe think, here's a person who's maybe really annoying, a person who's really evil. I could drop that person into hell right now. But he didn't do that. He, he loved, I mean, think about Jesus on that last night before he dies. I mean, there's Judas, there's his disciples. They should be washing his feet, worshiping at his feet. He goes and gets a basin of water. He goes and gets a towel. He kneels on the ground. He washes their feet. Like, the Lord of glory is washing someone's feet. Why would you do that? Because Jesus knew that the gospel is advanced through sacrificial giving. And he gave of himself. He was demonstrating to them, guys, if you want to reach someone for Christ, you're going to have to give up something. You're going to have to give up your rights. Well, I, don't have, I have the right not to serve that person. They should be serving me. Maybe you should give up that right for the sake of advancing the gospel in their lives. Jesus knew his rights, he denied his rights, and he gave up his rights, gave up his life for us. And if you're in here without Christ, listen, if you want to be forgiven, if you want the gift of God, all you have to do is turn and believe in him. And church, this is so important for us to consider Christ. Why, why are we, why am I so selfish with my time? with my money, with my freedom, my comfort. We want to reach Simi Valley for Christ, right? We want to reach Simi Valley for Christ. It's not going to be done by living for ourselves. We want, to, we want to disciple people in our church. It's not going to be done if all we're thinking about is what is most comfortable for me. If we don't deny ourselves and give ourselves, we can't reach people for Christ. Notice the second right Paul highlighted. It's in verse 5. And the second right was that to marry. To marry. Verse 5. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, or Peter? Peter and the half-brothers of Jesus were married. The other apostles, many of the other apostles were married. And Paul said, do you know I have a right to be married too? Bible scholars believe that Paul probably was married at some point in his life. And for some reason, he was no longer married here. We don't really know why. But there's some clues in the scripture that tell us that probably he was a widower. His wife at some point had passed away. And I talked about that a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But Paul had the freedom to, to remarry. I mean, I imagine that he would go to cities like Corinth and, and other cities. And I, I imagine he saw some pretty young ladies that were his age or older ladies, however old, old he was. 
right? I mean, some Jewish lady might come up to him and he might think, well, that, she's a nice person. I, that might work for me. Or maybe even a Gentile lady. Well, maybe I could reach the Gentiles if I married her. In other words, the point is, Paul, he, he had the right to be able to marry. And, and if he was married before, he knew the blessing of what it was like to have a wife. I mean, he, was, he would go into a city by himself. Wouldn't that have been nice to have a wife with him? I imagine he thought that many times. He had that right. So Paul knew his, his Christian liberty. He knew the scriptures. In fact, would you do this with me? Go back to 1 Corinthians 7, because I just want to remind you of this. 1 Corinthians 7. Paul had the right to remarry, but why didn't he? Why didn't Paul get remarried? 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8. This is where Paul says, I'm unmarried. 1 Corinthians 7, 8. To the unmarried, and remember we said, I think that's, that probably should be translated widowers. So then you have, and the widows. So to the widowers and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So there Paul saying, I'm single. And, and why is that? Well, he answers that in the rest of the text, but look at verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties or concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man has other concerns, right? The, the one who's married is concerned about his wife and his children, his home. And the, and the unmarried one isn't as concerned about those things because those things aren't in his life. And then verse 35, I think, gives really the clear answer to Paul's statement there. And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I don't necessarily recommend it, but I love how it translates this. The end of the verse, it says this, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. So Paul remained single and he encouraged some of those in the church to consider singleness and not getting married. Why? So they could serve the Lord. Paul did it so he could serve the Lord as an apostle. He could go to churches without, or go to cities without the gospel and plant a church there with as few distractions as possible. And think about what it would have been like, would have been like for Paul to go there with a wife, maybe with little children. I mean, he was beaten. He was starved. He was shipwrecked on a number of occasions. And when you're single and that happens, you pray to survive. Like if you're shipwrecked, you hold on. You pray to survive. If you're getting beaten, you pray, Lord, help me to survive. And if not, I got heaven. But if you're getting beaten or you're getting starved and you're married, who else is getting beaten? Who else doesn't have food? And so right next to your wife, if your wife's getting beaten, what are you concerned about at that moment? If you're getting beaten and she's getting beaten, her, right? And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I had the right to get married, but I decided not to because I'm doing something that's very difficult and going to places that are very difficult for the sake of the gospel. And so number two, he denied himself for gospel advance. And Paul recommends considering that. He's not mandating that. It's not for everybody. But this is an example of Paul giving up a right that he had for the sake of the gospel. And then third notice, he gave sacrificially for gospel advance. So he didn't just deny himself. It wasn't like, well, I'm not going to get married. I'm going to go live in a monastery or I'm going to do, you know, live by myself somewhere in the, in the woods. No, he says, I'm doing this for a purpose because I want to give the gospel to people. Would you do another, go to another passage with me? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
I think 2 Corinthians 12 highlights this. This is the, this is the significant passage where Paul has a thorn in the flesh and he pleads with the Lord three times. Please, Lord, remove it from me. And each time the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. In fact, you can see that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And we don't really know what this is. It could have been a person in the church, people in the church, maybe Corinth itself. Maybe it was a, a sickness he had or an ailment or something else. We don't know. But in verse 9, he said, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. Now listen, if you have some type of severe trial in your life, especially something, maybe it's a person or some type of restriction, you know, maybe it's a sickness or something's going on. Many times our automatic thinking is, okay, Lord, I've asked, I've asked you, you've not taken away, so you've given me your grace and your grace is enough. But Lord, I'm taking a break. <laughs> I gotta, I'm taking a break, you know, so like I, this church stuff, maybe I'm just going to step back. And but what's interesting is, look at verse 15. Because after Paul says, Lord, I pleaded with you, and he says, your grace is enough. Verse 15, Paul says this, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? In other words, he's saying, I'm going to keep pouring out my life into your life. Paul viewed his soul like a bank account, and God deposited his grace into his soul. And what did Paul do with that? He spent it on the church. It's like the more God deposited, the more he gave out. He's like, I'm gladly being spent, spending and being spent for your souls. It's like getting $1,000 in your bank account. And then you write a check for $1,000 to maybe a student or they're supposed to put it towards their tuition. And they go out and spend it on a party or something. And that's kind of what was kind of happening here. Paul was saying, listen, I, I received grace from God, deposited in my soul, and I'm pouring out my soul for you. But the more I love you, the less I'm loved. It doesn't sound really like something we would want to sign up for. But Paul, he was so committed to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul regularly, constantly poured out his soul for them. He studied late at night. He met with them early in the morning. He wrote long letters. He counseled when it was inconvenient. He walked long distances for the gospel. He gave what little he had, and he did it because he wanted to see the good news of Jesus Christ be preached to those who had not heard, and those who had heard, he wanted them to grow in Christ. Yet many of the Corinthians, if you remember, were like, you know, Apollos is a better speaker than you are. <laughs> I'm pouring my life out for you, and you know, Apollos is very eloquent. We really like him better. I'm of Apollos. Remember how they were divisive like that? How did Paul respond to that? I give up on this city. <laughs> These believers, I'm not writing to you guys anymore. Is that what he did? No. He denied himself. He stayed with it. He kept loving them. Even if they loved him less, he loved them more. I think about Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul said he was affectionately 
desirous of you. Notice just the love he has for people. Why is he in this game? Maybe not the best word, game, but why is he in this? Because he loves them. So what does he do? We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, so I brought to you the gospel. And what was the gospel packaged in? What does he say? But also our own selves. It wasn't like he was like, okay, let's see, we're in the city. Here's, here's a trap. Here you go. Yeah. Hopefully you read the gospel. He was like, here's my life. Here's my life. Here's the gospel. I'm bringing to you the gospel with my own self, my own soul, my own all I am. Paul's life was like a cup full of wine poured out onto the altar of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, so my life is being poured out upon the sacrificial offering of what? Your faith. It was for their faith. And that's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Go back to 1 Corinthians 9. That's what Paul is saying here. I I have the right to marry. Paul knew the joys of marriage. I'm sure there were times where he longed just to go back to a wife who could hug him and he could curl up next to him. But he said, I'm denying myself of that right so I can spread the gospel in difficult places. Notice in 1 Corinthians 9, this heart of Paul. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 15, he says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul's saying, like, I have not used, I have not made use of these rights because I want to boast in Christ. Verse 19, look at verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all. Paul says, I'm going out to serve people. I'm here to serve the church. Why? That I might win more of them. It's for the gospel. It's so people can come to Christ. It's like Paul looked at people and he saw them as people who are needing Christ. And he's like, how can I deny myself, give up my rights, give up what I have as freedoms in Christ and be able to reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Verse 23 Here's kind of the hallmark verse of this text. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in the blessings. Why are the rights serving in Africa? Can I tell you verse 23? It's that right there. They do it for the sake of the gospel. And I think many times we we should and we do, we Clap for missionaries. Oh, so that's so good for you to do that. Give, give up your rights for the sake of the gospel. And we say, but I'm keeping my rights. I'm like, I'm not going to give up anything. Like, I, I, I deserve this. I demand this. I must have this. But we need to live, all of us, like missionaries. We need to all be Gospel workers like Paul who look at life like this right here. Let me just ask you a few questions and think about it. Why are you living in California here? Some of you are like, I'm still trying to ask myself that question. But why are you living here? Like you have, all of us in here, you have the freedom to leave. And some of you will, and that's okay. So don't, this is not a condemnation. But think about that. You have the right to leave. Why are you in that difficult job with those unbelievers? 
you have the right to get another job. Why are you in, in a small church that doesn't have the bling and the flash of a mega church? Like, you have the right to go look for another church. You have freedom in Christ to go do that. Why do you have the income you have? Why do you have the talents you have? Why do you have the ability to do what you want with your time? Like, you have the freedom to do what you want with that, within, you know, righteousness. But you have the freedom to spend your money how you want to and do what you want tonight or tomorrow or throughout this week. Like, you have the freedom to enjoy that in many ways. So, so the point is you have freedoms in Christ, but there's something more than just saying, I can do this. It's what does Christ want me to do with this? It's thinking about that difficult job, maybe that difficult home you live in. Maybe even this church that sometimes for you might be difficult. I don't think it is, but maybe it could be. Maybe living in California and thinking about that and thinking, you know what? Yes, I have my rights. I can do this. But maybe I'm in this situation and I should deny my right for the sake of advancing the gospel in this difficult home, in this difficult place of employment, in this difficult neighborhood, in this difficult state. And again, it doesn't mean that you can't make the decisions to do that to change that. So don't get me wrong when I'm saying that. What I'm saying is we need to consider something more than just what we can do. It's what does Christ want us to do to advance the gospel? What if each of us, if each person listening to me resolve by God's grace that every dime you earn, let's take it to a dollar with inflation. Every dollar you earn, every minute you live, every opportunity you have, you're going to use that to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you're, you're going to consider how can you surrender your rights and how can you give the gospel. And I say this kind of stuff, and I say it very strongly. I want us to consider this, but I also want to say it with encouragement too because many of you are doing that right now. When you preach something like this, it's easy to say, we need to do this, but let's also acknowledge that this is happening in our church. Like people are living this way. I, I mentioned the rights. They probably didn't even know they're going to get mentioned this many times. Probably embarrassing in some sense. But, but I'm, I think about the, our elders. I'm honored to serve with elders who don't just show up here on Sunday. I'm, I'm honored to serve with elders who actually throughout the week are regularly meeting with people for discipleship. They're having meetings, talking about the future of the church. After, after service, we're going to have a meeting with someone else about membership. I mean, these guys are in the thick of it, and they have full-time jobs. We have faithful deacons who are serving behind the scenes that we don't ever parade up here. Maybe we should, but we don't ever parade up here and say, this is what they did this week. But they're doing many things, and they're saying, this night that I could use for my family, I'm going to give to serve the church in this way. This time that I have, or even sometimes even of their own resources, say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to take my resources and do this. They're serving the church faithfully. I was so happy to see a couple weeks ago that there was families, or there were people who signed up, signed up to serve in True Trackers. And, you know, to do that, to take a Thursday night like that, like you have the right to go to bed at 7.30 on a Thursday night, Right? And, and maybe watch a little bit of TV or whatever. But those people who signed up for that, they were saying in their heart, if they did it for the right reasons, that they are willing to deny themselves of that right to sacrificially partner with the parents of our church, to disciple them, to, to, to reach kids with the gospel in our city. If you're, if you're right now working in the nursery and there are some people down there, 
working in the nursery. Like every person in the nursery and the kids' church as well, they have a right to be in here. But in order to do that, you have to say, I'm going to deny my right that every other member has to serve our families. Like the reason we're in here quiet right now, we're able to be discipled, and some of you parents are able to be discipled with the preaching of God's word is because there's some people who have given up their rights for you. You see how that works? It's part of our regular living, and I I don't want to acknowledge that many of you are living in that way right now. And I think these three words are three words we need to consider throughout this week. Know, yes, acknowledge, know your rights, but deny and give sacrificially. We really don't have time to go through the third right. I'll just mention it. It's in verse 6. The third right the other apostles enjoyed was the right to be paid for gospel work. Look at verse 6. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Verse 6, really down through verse 14, Paul explains that he has the right to be paid for gospel work. Why was this controversial? Well, because Paul was bivocational. What does that mean? That means that Paul worked another job, a secular job. He, he made tents, and he also did gospel work. And he didn't take an income from the church. He only took an income from that secular job, from, from making those tents. And think about it for Paul. He's going into a city. There's no believers in the city. How are you going to survive, right? So he has a job to be able to take care of his basic needs. And so he's, that's a lot of work to do that, to be able to have a tent-making uh, business. But also, he's pouring his life and lives into people. And Paul chose, particularly when he went to Corinth here, that he was not going to take an income from anybody. He was living with Aquila and Priscilla, making tents. And so some people then deduced, well, Paul doesn't have a right to get paid. And Paul says, actually, no, there is substantial evidence I should be paid. In fact, Verse 6, down through verse 14, he argues in many, many different ways that he had the right to be paid. But actually, he was choosing in his life to give up that right so he could go into these cities and give the gospel free of charge. So let's just end with verse 14 and 15 so we can kind of wrap this up. We'll come back to some of that next week. Verse 14, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. I have the right to be able to be paid to give the gospel. But verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Paul says, I have the right to be paid, but I am choosing not to do that. Why? Why did Paul do that? Why? There's something more important in this world than money. And that's giving the gospel to people. And Paul was willing to go without. He was willing to not know what was going to happen in the future. And let's say this. He did get money from churches, right? I mean, look at the book of uh, the letter of Philippians. That was basically a thank you letter to the church of Philippi. But the point is he's willing to give up his rights for the sake of the gospel. And let's consider this for ourselves. I wonder what rights we claim I wonder what rights, what freedoms we say, well, these are freedoms in Christ that I I have the right to be able to do. I can do this. I know I can do this. Let's ask, what's more important than just knowing Bible truth and what you can do? It's how can you love people? So let's ask ourselves this question. How 
am I denying myself to advance the gospel? In my marriage, in my home, in my church here, in my city, in my place of employment? In what ways do I need to say no to me so that I can give God's news to someone else or I can see their spiritual life flourish or I can invest in their life spiritually? And then are are we giving sacrificially to spread the gospel? And that starts where? In our hearts. It's giving of ourselves. How can I sacrificially give to advance the gospel? And may we always keep Christ on the forefront of our minds and remember he's our example. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, that's his right, he gave it up for your sake. He became poor, he denied himself so that you by his poverty might become rich so the gospel could come to you. You could have salvation. You could be his you could be in the family of God. You could become rich with grace. Praise God for that. And church, let's consider that for our own lives. How can we sacrificially give to advance the gospel? If you're in here without Christ, Christ wants you to know that he came to save you and all you need to do is call upon him. Let's pray.